you know, all of those uh, sitcoms, they all, they all have stereotypical roles, and, and most of those roles are not real life. They're just stereotypes we poke at, yet there are real roles that all of us have in life or real pieces that we fill in other people's lives. And some of these pieces are temporary. Some of these pieces or roles we fill for other people are long-term. And so today, we're going to look at the very first role and actually the through-line role, the role that when life is going right and relationships are going right, this is the common theme throughout the whole thing. It's called friendships. Let's pray right now. God, I'm thankful for tonight, thankful for the, the amazing idea of friendship and you being a friend. That, that is a, a crazy idea that you actually would want to be a friend of ours. And so I pray that you'd help me to be clear and help my words to accurately depict your heart and your mind. And I pray these things according to uh, the character that I see in Jesus. Amen. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 1, there's a verse that actually was the basis of a song. Let's see if we can get this song right. It says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And what's that song? How's it go? There is a season. To the That's the birds, right? They sing a lot better than I do. Um, season for everything, a time for everything. There's, there's certain seasons relationally that we're going to be in for a short period of time, like the season of being an adolescent child. That's a role that we'll be in for a short period of time. There's, there's roles that we're in, hopefully, for all seasons, for the end of, end of life, but yet sometimes we're not, the role like marriage. There's, there, there's roles that we're in only for a short amount of time, like the role of grandparent, yet there, are, there is a through line throughout the whole thing, and it's friendship. When relationships are operating at their best, there is an element of friendship. In fact, that's my goal in every significant friendship I have, every significant relationship I have, whether it's my wife, my parents, my kids, the people I used to date, my friends. It, it is having a genuine, honest interaction of friendship. I uh, went to see recently somebody who I'm not a friend of. I wish I was. David McCullough, my favorite author. Any David McCullough fans in here? Yeah, he uh, has a couple Pulitzer Prizes, some other awards. These are some of the books he's written. I've read all of these, except I haven't done the uh, Mornings on Horseback yet. Amazing, amazing author. When he writes something, I just read it. And just by chance, I was reading the Business Courier this last week, and I ran across a little ad that said that he was going to be up at Miami, Oxford. So I said, I think I will go there. So I decided to grab a couple friends and went up and just listened to David McCullough speak. And one of the things he said that I wrote down because I thought it was really profound, he said, there is one thing which history is absolutely clear about. It is that there is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. Never has been, never will be. Everyone has been shaped by someone. Everyone. You know, some of us, we think we're self-made people. No, we were just born in the Lucky Sperm Club. Some of us happen to, you know, come from difficult circumstances and maybe we're doing really well right now. We think we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. Well, you maybe did a lot of good stuff, but you can identify somebody in your past that's created you or caused you to be who you are right now. And, and, and positively or negative, actually. Sometimes the good things in our life, we've been driven to do that because we wanted to overcome a negative personal influence in my life. As I think about friends and people who have impacted my life, they've been the highest of the highs of my life. And my friends have always been the lowest of the lows. 
I've had my heart ripped out more by friends than I have by any of my, my actual legal family. And at the same time, I've experienced some of my, my, my most euphoric moments as a result of or with friends, more so even than with my family. And when I think about who I am today, I can see somebody who has caused every good thing to be associated with who I am right now. I, I, I think I know God pretty well and I'm aspiring to know Him better. And it's because of friendship I had. His name is Chucky Keith. In high school, Chucky said, hey, there's this uh, football thing that's going to be happening over the weekend. You want to come and play football? And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And he did the old bait and switch on me. It wasn't really so much about football. I was going to a church where they were going to tell me about who Jesus was. And, um, and actually, it ended up being a good thing. But Chucky took, an, uh, took a, a risk on me and actually invested in me, invited me someplace. I haven't seen Chucky Keith for decades. Boy, I'm getting old. Decades, a long, a long time, and yet it's because of him that I'm where I am. In fact, I, I spoke at a, an organization a year or so ago who uh, was part of the organization that did this bait and switch on the football thing. And as I was going to speak there, it was a fundraising banquet, and as I was speaking, I talked about Chucky, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, man, if it wasn't for Chucky, there's a whole bunch of things that are happening in my life that would not be happening in my life. Anything positive that's coming out of my life, traces back to that friendship. Denny Patton spoke about him a bit last week, building into me, helping me see over a longer period of time the difference between a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with religion or religion's sake and attending religious service being entirely different than an interaction with Jesus. Reed Carpenter, another friend, older than me by decades, he modeled for me what it was like to be devoted to a city for your whole life. And I saw from him what it was like to have a vision for Pittsburgh. He had a vision for Pittsburgh. And, and I've, I've inherited that. And my passion and desire to stay in Cincinnati for the rest of my life is because that traces back to him. He ended up making me that way. When we had a fire and destroyed everything we had and we didn't have renter's insurance and had nothing. I remember being at my in-law's house and the next morning a friend of mine came up, Eric Taylor. And I'll never forget Eric Taylor walking up and him and his wife Cindy pulled out a check, wrote it out and stuck a check in my hand for $400. And I had never up to that moment ever seen a check written out for that amount of money. And it was written out to me, me simply saying, I believe in you. We want to help you. That was friendship. Another friend who I haven't spoken with in 15 years, Tom Dammer. Tom Dammer, by knew back in Pittsburgh, took me out one day to Olive Garden and said, Brian, what are you doing at this church? I was on staff at a church. It's a great place. But you know, who you are is not being used here. It's time for you to go. You got to go. What, what are you, it's time for you to move. And he really moved me off center. Other friends that really invited me and brought me to Pittsburgh, Jim, ben, Jim and Vivian Bechtold, Brian and Nancy Wells, they really taught me what it meant to be a blessing. I still learn from them today what it means to be a blessing. I didn't learn that in my family of origin. I've learned that from friends. And I could go on and on and on and on. Proverbs 17, 17 says this about friendship. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. This is a figure of speech. This is a poetic or literary device in ancient Hebrew literature, which is called parallelism. And what they do is they take different phrases or different words that you could interchange. And so it's really not saying that 
Friends are the ones that love, but really only your blood brothers are those in times of adversity. You could flip those words to say also, a brother loves at all times and a friend is born for a time of adversity. It's, it's two different ways to say the same thing, drilling down that friends, brothers, brothers can be friends, but friends can actually exceed what actually blood or DNA relationships do, can take us to whole new places. Now, let's have some questions right now. Just do a little gut check on where all of us are in friendships. Try to clear your mind right now and imagine that you find out tomorrow that you need to move out of your apartment or you need to move out of your house for whatever circumstances. You're evicted, you're foreclosed on, there's poisonous gas that's seeping in in your house that's already paid for, whatever it is, you have to move immediately. You have to move everything, all your possessions out. Who do you call? Who do you call? Now, some of us are really blessed, perhaps, to have money to, you know, call, call some movers. But let's imagine no movers can come within 24 hours' notice. Who would it that would move you? Because I'll tell you what, you are a friend if you will move somebody. That is just... That if, you know, in hell, that's one of the activities that's going to happen in hell. <laughs> going, going and moving friends who especially haven't even boxed their stuff yet. That, that's actually one, one of the things that's going to happen in hell. Uh, but a friend who you would call to move you successive weeks, that is a person who is your friend. Who would do that for you? Who would you do that for? Let's imagine that you are behind on your rent. You're going to be foreclosed on. You need to come up with the mortgage, with the rent, and you don't have it. Now, some of us are in great positions. Perhaps you're, you've got things paid off. You've got six months of living expenses banked away. Just imagine that isn't happening. And you have to have a rent check written for you to still have a roof over your head or a mortgage check written. Who could you call and say, hey, could you pay my mortgage this month? Is there anybody you could call? I have people I could call that to. Thankfully, I've never had to do that. I have people who could call me and I'd cover their rent if I happen to have that amount of money there. Is there anybody, is there anybody that you have the kind of friendship with that that would happen, that that could take place? How about this? Something just took place that no one knows about but actually could be the end of you. You've had a major, major failing. You don't know where to turn to. You need to seek counsel. But this is the kind of stuff that is going to devastate your life. Who can you trust your life to and pour out the scenario that just happened without risk of being judged, without risk of being slammed, with total confidence that it's not going to go anywhere? These are the examples of what, this is what I'm talking about. This, this is friendship. This is not drinking buddies. This is not acquaintances. This is not, you know, companions or pals or girls you do your hair with. This is, this is, this is the substantive aspects of friendship. Jesus talked about himself wanting to be a friend with anybody who has a relationship with God. Here's what he says in the book of John chapter 15. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's bidness. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Intense stuff here. Jesus says, you know, our obedience to him really does show whether or not we're in a relationship with him. A lot of deep stuff happening here. But one of the things that's really wild is he actually says that God interacts with us as a friend. He actually says, learn from my father in ancient Jew Jewish thought in the first century. 
The father's identity was the exact same as the son's. If you were a son, your identity was the same as the dad. You and the father are one. Actually, Jesus said that one time. Jesus said it as clearly as he ever could say it in the first century in Jewish culture that he was God when he continually compared himself to the father, continually said that he and the father are one, he and God were one. And what does he say about God? How does God interact with his children? As a friend. As a friend, not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a friend. You know, if you happen to be blessed enough to pay somebody to clean your house or do something like that or do work for you or mow something, we tend not to tell and reveal our heart to anybody we're paying, to any servant or slave or somebody who's on our payroll. But a friend, a friend is somebody who you'll reveal your heart to. Jesus is not saying here that God is on our same level. He's not. He is distinct. He is higher. He is beyond. He is of a different essence of me. On my, on my greatest day of purity, I am nowhere close to God and who He is in His perfection. That's not what this is talking about here. But what it's talking about here is God wants to interact with us as a friend. He wants that to be the communication pattern. So if God wants to interact with me as a friend, guess what? My goal for my my marriage should be that my best friend is my wife. My goal for my kids is that they become my peers and we are friends. That I'm not the wise sage, I'm not the taskmaster. I am that more so with my younger kids, as we'll talk about in a few weeks. But the goal of all of that is because I want to be a complete peer with my kids. I want to be friends. The goal of anybody who I'm interacting with, if it's on staff, if it's in the neighborhood, not, I can't be the friend of everybody for a variety of reasons, but all relationships are at their best when there is a friend through line. So I want to talk about four ways Four things that to check yourself off on in developing friendship and evaluating whether or not the, 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 the relationships you're in right now are acquaintances or friendships. These are four A words. Four A words. Uh, the first A word, and I'm not going to talk about a bad A word, but the first A word is affinity. 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 You know, we have to have something in common with people. There's got to be some glue that ties us. You just can't say, oh, I could be friends with anybody. No, you can't. You could maybe love everybody, have value for everybody. But friends, there has to be something that's in common. You bike together. You work out together. You like to watch the Bengals. You like to do the UC game. How about UC this weekend? Come on! 10 and 0. Are you kidding me? Come on! I had a friend take me there. He was a friend not just because we enjoyed that. It was the first UC game I'd ever been to. But as a friend, because we have a variety of things that we have in common. I mean, to be a friend, you have to have similar interests or hobbies. Or something has to, to, to tie you together. I was thinking about this and looking at the news rage on the billboard that's been in Cincinnati last week. I don't know if you saw the news or actually saw the billboard. Here it is. Don't believe in God? You are not alone. And uh, this is for a group of people that are atheists and are trying to gather people together who are atheists. And I think it's kind of interesting because uh, if you don't believe something and I don't believe something, that's not enough to cause us to be friends. Like, hey, I don't believe in the Easter Bunny. Do you believe in the Easter Bunny? No, they're good. Let's be friends. I mean, that doesn't work. Like, let, let's be friends around, around things that we're, you know, don't believe. But nonetheless, there's still this dynamic here of, hey, let's try to gather. We all need, we all know that we need other people. And there's got to be some sense of affinity. 
couple of weeks ago, I talked about a, a, a thing we were rolling out to help all of us go to deeper levels of spiritual maturity. And today we roll this out. Uh, we're rolling out today a thing called the daily, the daily. You can go to crossroads.net and you can register. And this is also in your program as well. You can register for, for daily things that come your way that are disciplines that you can do to grow. You know, if you're in a relationship, you're dating or you're married, you know there are daily activities that are sort of unglorious. They don't bring you warm chills up and down your spine, but if you don't do them, the relationship doesn't, doesn't grow. There's the dailies. There's the doing of the dishes. There's the, you know, calling and talking. There's a, these are things that oftentimes don't give us great joy every single time, but yet daily, if we don't hit these things, the relationship is going to go nowhere. And in our relationship with God, there's dailies too. If I'm not talking with God every day, if I'm not looking at the Bible and having it stimulate me, doing some other thing, these daily practices, not all the time might it be powerful, but if I'm not putting myself in that daily practice, I'm guaranteed not to go forward powerfully. And so we're going to do this. I'm going to do this every day. When this comes up, I, actually, it's, I think it's five out of seven days. They'll come to you various ways. You can see it when you sign up. I'm going to do this intentionally because I know other friends of mine will be doing it. And it'll be a thing of affinity where they'll be reading the same thing I'm reading. And they'll probably come to different conclusions or see different things that I hadn't seen. And it'll probably and hopefully naturally spark some discussion. Affinity is necessary for friendship. Another one is authenticity. The authentic thing. Something is authentic when it is as it appears. Something is authentic when there's no hidden thing underneath a layer of pain. It's actually the way it is. And the way we're authentic is we personally disclose. We disclose who we are. Sometimes someone will say, uh, hey, Brian, how are you doing? And I might not even know the person. And sometimes I'll just hit the standard thing and say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah. Okay, or been better. How about you? You know, something like that. Sometimes, though, I, I, I make the decision, okay, this is a moment to be authentic and to kind of throw out an olive leaf as to maybe there could be a friendship or something deeper than it is right now. And the way to do that is to disclose something about yourself. So sometimes someone asks me that, and I'll, I'll stop and go. And I'm just trying to think, hmm, what really is going on with me that I can disclose? And sometimes it'll be something like, Hey man, I, man I, I feel like I'm hitting on all cylinders. I just, honestly, I, I, I feel guilty. I feel so good right now. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say, man, I, I, I don't know. Lib and I just had a fight this morning. And if you could just pray that she realizes that she's wrong, I'd really, I'd really, I would really appreciate that. Or, you know, I might, I might say something, something like that. Or I might say, I'm, I'm all right. I don't know. I just have this uneasiness about me. I don't know what the uneasiness is. I just feel a little antsy. I, I'm not sure what that is. But what I'm doing there is I'm trying to just be authentic and reveal something of, of who I am really, at least in that moment. In the book of John chapter 1, we see how Jesus really affirmed this one guy named Nathaniel. And here's what he said. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here's truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, deceit, Check it out in this context as well. Here's another one. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Deceit. When I'm deceitful, I am trying to appear or trying to make something to appear the way it actually isn't. It's inauthentic. 
These are, these are newer translations that are very helpful. Sometimes the old fuddy-duddy translations are helpful too. Like the old King James with the old Elizabethan language. Check these verses out with these translations. It says this, But Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, I love this, in whom is no guile. Guile. Here it is again. Look at it in Psalms. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. I like that word guile. Because there's two different ways for us to be deceptive, isn't there? You can be deceptive as far as just an out-and-out lie. It's an unvarnished lie. You're just lying. But then there's sort of the guile deception, which is not really lying, but just not presenting things the way they really are. That's, that's the idea behind guile. It's the word in the original language that means crafty. Crafty, just kind of you know, working it, working it. Ulterior agenda, you know, working the agenda. Nothing, nothing agenda is wrong. What's wrong is when deceitfully the agenda is being worked to where you don't even realize you're being worked. You know what I'm saying? Like when someone's working you for something, you don't even realize they're working you. That, that's the idea of guile. And to have friendships, we need to be on people who have no guile. They are who they appear to be. They say what they really are saying. We're not feeling worked at all. This is what it means to be authentic, to not have somebody being crafty or, or devilish with us. Another A, accountability. Accountability. When people hold us accountable to goals that we've set or hold us accountable to things that they think that we should be doing or not doing things that we should be doing or however that goes. Accountability. Accountability. Holding, holding us accountable. You know, my, my old beer drinking buddies, or well, they were not going to hold me accountable. In fact, people I have affinity with who I go on trips, who I'm in the earlier stages of a friendship with, they're not going to hold me accountable. Accountable is someone says, hey, um, I saw you do X. And could you tell me what was going on there? Because I'm not sure that was a good thing. Or, hey, what, what, what's your thinking behind? Because I just thought I'd let you know. This is what account, accountability is like. I'll give you an example of accountability, and you can receive it or not. Uh, a couple weeks ago, over the last several weeks, I've been announcing crossroads.net backslash something or other, or slash something or other. We've had an MP3 with some of our senior leaders recorded recently talking about our fiscal budget and different things that are happening uh, around here financially. And all good news for the most part, good stuff. We're really happy where things are going, but a lot of interesting stuff in there. And I checked how many people have downloaded the MP3, and there's 500 people who have downloaded that. We have about various weekends, 12,000 people a weekend from our various campuses. That's all ages, all that kind of stuff. And that 500 out of 12,000, that seems a bit low. Part of me says, well, that makes sense because generally people don't want to really dig into something unless they're unhappy. Like when I've been involved with other churches that had a lot of congregational meetings, if you've ever been involved with those, only the angry people ever come. It's only people who are angry and upset and don't like the way things are going. Because if you like the way things are going, you're feeling okay. It's like, I, I got better things to do than waste my time showing up someplace. But if you're upset, man, you're, you know, you're, you're showing up loaded for bear at a meeting like that. So my first inclination is to say, well, hey, people are kind of happy where things are going and no one's kind of suspicious, so there could be some good stuff there. But then the other hand, I also think to myself, man, I, uh, I'm, I think this might be a pattern of, 
an increasing percentage of people in our community choosing to be disengaged financially. We have an increasing percentage of people that are just happy to allow great things happen and just watch it and have other people pay for it. And I'm just wondering, is that part of what's happening right now? We have to finish, we need to finish this year end strong. We need to finish this year financially strong. I just want to encourage us to think through what's going on financially to finish this year strong. Now, you might think right now that I'm kind of working an agenda on you. I am working an agenda. Yes, I have an agenda to get you a gift. Let me just say that. I have an agenda to get many of you to stop just receiving to actually give. Now, if you're newer here, you don't understand me. I'm, hey, my name is Brian. I'm your friend. So just kind of just trust me on that. But for a lot of us, yeah, I am. I am. I have an agenda and I want to hold you accountable and say you kind of been hanging around for a while and it's time to actually be a part, be a part of things. And one of the ways we can be part of things is make sure we start to finish the year strong. Now that's uncomfortable for me to say. And when you actually hear it, it's even more uncomfortable, but friends do that. They do that. That's just an example. Do we have anybody in our life that is noticing things and saying things? And are we doing that same thing? Not because we want to put somebody in their place, but because we want to see somebody have the best future they can possibly have. Who's doing that for us? Who are we doing that for? And not that only, but affirmation. That's what I love even more than accountability. Way more. Affirmation. Affirmation. Just making somebody feel good. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that at all. One of the verses in the Bible that says that we should weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And most people have no problem mourning with those who mourn, but we have a harder time rejoicing with those who rejoice. Your friends will never be upset when you get ahead of them. Your friends will never be upset when something great's happening for you, but it's not happening to them. True friends don't do that. True friends aren't comparing. True friends aren't judging. True friends will say, man, way to go. I am, I'm glad you just got a great car. Phenomenal. Your car is better than mine. Awesome. Hey, man, I, I'm excited for you. You are dating somebody that's hot. And I'm not. Awesome. Great. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. Hey, I just noticed what you did with your kids. I don't know what you're doing with your kids, man, but I got to go to school on you because that was an awesome parenting move. Uh, the, this is what true friends do. They, they just go out of their way and affirm. Not just the compliment that comes on the front end of the criticism that then's followed by a compliment. The sea sandwich, I compliment just to get you to a place where I can criticize you. And then to patch you all up, I compliment you again. That's working an agenda. I'm giving you a compliment to work my agenda, which, by the way, it actually does work. So if you are going to criticize with me, I would appreciate a compliment first. It's actually a wise thing. But, but see, that's a, that can be a thing of guile. Do we ever affirm somebody simply because we notice something great happened to them? Eugene Peterson, who uh, has authored... Uh, modern translation of the Bible called The Message. He says this, Friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something holy. It is a discipline. It is a discipline that reaps and brings incredible rewards. My budget reflects friendship activities. My schedule reflects friendship activities. It is an important part of life. And to grow and to feel like we have a full life, friendship has got to be a significant thing. And the final A I'll just share is acceptance. Acceptance. Uh, I don't accept everything that's happening in my friend's life 
In fact, some things that friends do from time to time just cause you to just kind of go, oh, no, oh. It causes you to get mad, causes you to, uh, it just happens. But friends, even though all the activities in somebody's life might not be acceptable, a friend will say, but you, I'm going to accept you, and I'm not going to give up on you. There's something just beautiful about that with a friend, feeling that acceptance. Proverbs 18, 29, 24 says this. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Another translation says, uh, 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 one who has many companions soon comes to ruin. This is not about how many people we go to football games with. This is not about how many people we do our nails with. This is not about how many people we, 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 we watch the movies with. This is about who is close to us that sticks to, like, to us to, like a brother or sister who we accept and they accept us, who we affirm and they affirm us, who we hold accountable and they hold accountable to us, who we are real with and we just have fun with. It's so hard for me to talk about this because the risk-reward is just huge for me. As I said earlier, the greatest highs that I've had in my life seem like they've been preceded by friends or have included friends or friends were in the debriefing of it. And my lowest of lows come from friends. Friends who I thought would never really abandon me, threaten, threatened lawsuits for, for me. Friends who I thought we were close have just treated me like I, I was nothingness and and it's painful, but the risk-reward is amazing. So here's your homework for this week. I want you to uh, take a piece of paper sometime at home, and I want you to write down who are your friends, your friends under these definitions. And you might find that you have a lot of them. You might find that you have not any of them. Maybe if you have a lot of them, you might want to write an encouraging note to one of your friends. Maybe if you find that you don't have friends that fit this bill, maybe you want to start being a friend before you expect anything. Maybe you want to go out of your way to encourage or affirm or, or something. But, but this, this, is a, this is a lifeblood for us spiritually. This is a role. This is a role, actually, that we never get out of. This is the role, and we start this series with this role because this is the role that goes throughout every single relational dynamic that we'll have in our lives, whether blood relatives or not blood relatives. We want to know God. We're going to do a couple songs. We're going to make these prayers right now. And uh, we're going to do songs because we're saying, God, I want you to know me as a friend does. I want to disclose myself, and I, and I want to know you. So, God, I'm praying that as we, uh, as we do these songs, that these are words that we really mean, because we're going to talk to you with these words. And we're going to say we're thankful that you want to be our friend, and we want to be your friend as well. Know us as you perfectly do, and help us to know you deeper degrees and also know the other amazing people that you've created around us. Amen.